Hey everyone, welcome back to Rocking Your Balls Podcast. I'm Jen, everyone's favorite nerdy claw. Today, we have part two with Crystal Malcolm as we continue to discuss our mutual best friend who was disrespectful on all sides, Alopecia. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks for listening. I feel with my personal journey as I have grown in my acceptance of this and become more comfortable and confident, it's almost secondhand nature. You know, when you go out the door, you're going to get stares. You'll probably get a question, a comment or two. You know to accept it. As we become more comfortable with ourselves, and I would love to hear your experience and thought on this, you come into your own even more with having that ability to choose. There are some days where, yeah, I talk about it. And then some days where I will have no problems telling someone, thank you so much for being interested in something about myself, but I really don't feel like talking about it today. Absolutely. For me, I'm queen of clocking out. I can completely black out of conversation and not even know that you're there. And you know what's so funny is sometimes when I leave the house, I forget I'm bald. I honestly don't think about it. So when somebody comes up to me or when somebody's looking at me, I'm like, what is the problem? Oh, yeah, I forgot I got no hair. Shoot. I literally forget. I, I remember using a saying this to you before. Like, sometimes I'm just alopecia out where I don't want to talk about it. I don't have hair. Okay, can I just pick my bananas in peace? Mm-hmm. Can I just be in the organic section? Can I just look at my tomatoes? I don't want to talk about it. You know what I mean? And like I said, sometimes I legit forget that I'm bald and I forget sometimes why somebody might stare or why somebody might, you know, smile at me or something like that. And it's like, oh, right. And people do ask questions. And I mean, I'm never rude about it, but there are times when I'm just not in the mood to talk about it. I'll still answer the question, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, not today, you know? Yeah, but what people tend to forget is that, yeah, we have alopecia, but we're still human beings with feelings and we're not always 100% every day. Just like with someone with hair is not 100% every day. Yeah, I don't wake up in the morning chipper all the time. And it, sometimes it's not, it has nothing to do with my alopecia. I'm just not in the mood today. You know what I mean? So when you add that on top of somebody asking me questions about why I don't have hair or wanting to offer me some sort of solution. Those ones are, those conversations are always hilarious. When they Those are, sometimes they're hilarious, but then sometimes they're hard because you're like, you don't think I haven't tried that? Yeah, what makes you think I need fixing? How about that? That right there. Great question. What makes you think that I need to be fixed in any capacity? We've talked about too, when we come into this acceptance of our true selves, radical acceptance, we're triggering other people's insecurities. One million percent, especially when you said you're so brave. I could never pull that style off. I'm like, well, talk to my immune system because her and I have a love-hate relationship. So she's there and she does other things, but doesn't do this one thing that she's supposed to do. Yeah. But I think to the brave comment, I, and I'm sure you agree. Yeah, this is brave. This is a brave thing to do because it's so much easier to hide it, what you talked about earlier, not accept it. You could just wear a wig every day and never put out your ball. This is a brave step, yes. Don't say in a way where you're trying to bring me down because you're not comfortable with the decision I chose to make for myself. Yeah, because it makes you a little uncomfortable. In saying all that, I do get a lot of compliments too. Yes, we do attract 
people looking at us, but sometimes it's just out of admiration. Sometimes it's just like, wow, you're a really pretty girl. Yep. Amen. You know what I mean? Thanks to my mama, I look like her. It's like, thank you. You know, and it's like, I love your bald head. Sometimes I wear these scalp embellishments. Um, shout out to Bald Head Bougie. She has these amazing scalp embellishments and they look like tattoos and they're flowers. I saw that on one of your posts and it was beautiful. And I love wearing those things. And for me, I love wearing them because it's another way for me to showcase how beautiful bald is. One of the things I got into in the beginning of my journey is doing henna crowns. I love doing henna crowns. I did my first one um, in the summer of last year. Now, mind you, it looked gorgeous when the henna was still fresh, but it dried the paste. When it fell off, it didn't get as dark as I wanted it to, but I think it might have been because of the scarring. So I'm not too sure. There's a process to it, and we can talk about this too, but there's a process to where you have to keep reapplying to the paste. I think it's lemon juice with, and with sugar in it to reactivate the henna. And you have to keep the henna on as long as you possibly can, 24 hours if you can do it. So we kept the henna on, but I didn't do the after thing. I didn't do the sugar and lemon. I didn't do that. That's something I learned from an artist I found who was Indian and came from a culture and makes henna from scratch. It's a whole thing to keep reactivating the henna so we can keep staining the scalp. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to try that next time. The person that did my henna crown was so sweet and she freehanded it. And I was yeah. so shocked. At the, I was like, this can't be real. And I remember I posted it on my Instagram. I got a lot of compliments and stuff on it. And people wanted to know what it looked like after. So when I took the yeah. afterwards, it was hard to see. So next time, good tip. I'll do that. And the thing with henna, too, is that it takes a couple days to darken. Yes, that's what the artist did tell me. But I was like, maybe it's just my, my sparring. But it was such a beautiful experience because I've never done that before. It's so relaxing, too, especially when it's made naturally because of the smell. You relax, you zone out a little bit. It's very therapeutic, at least for me. Absolutely. And I don't know. There's just something sexy about doing really cool things with your scalp that you would have never done had we had a full head of hair. Oh, yeah. Like you said before, the creativity that comes with learning how to accent this other beautiful part of yourself. I would love to do gems all over. Woo! Yeah. I don't know. For an event somewhere, just put gems on me. Birthdays. Hello. Since we're talking about accessories, and in my opinion, I consider you the connoisseur of wigs because when I see you in wigs, it's always on fleek. You're ready to go. You look gorgeous. And you seem to have a lot of knowledge from your experience about wigs. So for someone who may be listening to this and got the diagnosis about alopecia and wants to get into wigs to you what makes a good wig how do you know what's a good wig from a bad wig i feel like sometimes people think that they have to break the bank in order to get a good wig and you don't and especially when you've first been diagnosed with alopecia mm. you may not have worn a wig before in your life so you may not have that three thousand dollars four thousand dollars to invest in a human hair wig that is like 20, 20 inches long. Do you know what I mean? There are amazing synthetic wigs out there on the market, I find, that you can get sometimes at your local beauty supply store, especially if you're just starting out. I think what makes a good wig is the texture. Finding something that resembles what your natural hair would have looked like. So 
because if you have something similar, it's easy for you to manipulate it because it feels like what you used to have. And there are some synthetic units that actually do that, that mimic that. Um, I'm queen of going to my local beauty supply store and dropping like, say, $60, $80 on a synthetic wig. And I'm happy with it. And I will cut that bad boy and shape it and style it and do whatever I need to do to make it look like my own. Now, a lot of people may not have that skill where they can cut and style wigs. So I would say, don't be afraid to take it to the hairstylist that you used to go to or find someone that actually cuts wigs that can actually, or even a simple hairdresser, like they, anybody who can cut hair can cut a wig, I think. Um, and make sure you obviously have the wig on your head so that they can match it and frame it to your face. But I feel like what makes a good wig is probably the quality, mm -hmm. the texture of it, the cap construction. Because there are wigs that um, have breathable mesh. There are some that are fully laced. Um, it kind of equated to kind of like a pantyhose type feel. It's very thin. So when you melt it with glue or hairspray, it literally looks like it's growing out of your scalp. This is a whole conversation that I can get into. But I think just trying to find something that looks or resembles as close to your hair as possible. And starting off small, like going to your local beauty supply store or going online, there's a lot of big vendors online that sell wigs inexpensive, not endorsing anybody, but just like Sam's Beauty Supply is one, um, ebonyline.com. They have a huge assortment of synthetic and human hair wigs, I find, but also start with your local beauty supply store because at least you can feel it and touch it and try it on. Now, I know with the pandemic, in Canada specifically, we weren't allowed to try on wigs or anything like that. So that's a good point. Yeah. So if you can find somewhere where you can actually try it on, because listen, wigs may not be for everybody. It may be yeah. hot. It may be itchy. You may not like the feel of it forward on your head. And remember, sometimes you might have to wear a stocking cap on your head before you apply the wig. That might also be uncomfortable. So what makes a good is good wig is what feels the most comfortable and natural to you. That's a very good point. I know with the wigs that I wore, for me, I couldn't well, wear a cap. But I found these adjustable ones that had Velcro that seemed to be very good because they were, the way they were made, they were still breathable. It wasn't fully meshed, but there was a type of breathable material on it, the way it was sewn on. Yes, that worked for me. And at the time, I was still living in Florida. And at the end of the day, when I got out of the car out of work, I'm like, take this thing done big thing like where do you live in canada <laughs> toronto specifically we get what like two months of summer but somewhere hot like florida puerto rico wherever you are wigs might not be re a realistic option you know what i mean it boils down to an individual choice and it boils down to what can you tolerate and what are you willing to bear because mind you what makes a good wig also is it not looking like a wig Another really good point where I live, we have as a Jewish Hasidic community, mm. it, part of their culture is when they get married, they have to shave their head and wear a wig. You can't tell. You can't tell that they're wearing wigs. And it's just so impressive. And some of them may be like money. You're paying for that. Sometimes you can luck out, like I said, and buy a beautiful synthetic or even human hair wig. But it's all about the application. It's all about the technique. It's all about... Mm you finessing that unit to make it look like it's your own and look like it's growing out of your scalp. I love wigs that I call no-brainers. So I love wigs that have bangs because you can literally put it on 
and not have to worry about it. Like, obviously, you have to, you know, trim it and make it fit and frame your face. But having the right concealer on the, the lace so that it matches your skin tone, like all of these little things to make it look as realistic as possible is what is so key. And like I said, the quality of the hair makes all the difference and the color. Because remember, you can do lots of customization with human hair wigs. But like I said, not everybody has that budget. But back to your point, you can't tell. That to me is what makes a good wig is you can't tell. Like it literally looks like it's growing out of your scalp. And especially if you're sitting down and somebody's talking over you or they're taller than you and they're like looking down, you want them to be able to think that hair is growing out of your scalp. Absolutely, because I know that was a thing about me when I got my wigs. To your point, no one knew that it was a wig. They just thought I got a really cute short pixie cut. The only thing I, I find with wigs is because I'm always changing up my styles. Is I remember when I really got into wigs, I would try to just buy and wear the same one over and over again. Because if I wanted to do a short pixie cut, it was like I did the pixie cut. But now I can't wear a long wig for what a year because I have to quote unquote grow my hair out. Do you know what I mean? It was always that was also in the back of my head. But now I could care less. Like last week I was wearing a cute little bob. I may wear 20 inches on Monday and now I'm so comfortable and I don't care what people think because mm-hmm. I can switch up my hair whenever I want. And people have come up to me at work and said, you know, can I ask you a personal question? I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm like, absolutely. Sure. How do you get your hair to look so realistic? And it's like magic. That's a personal win. You're like, yes. Sure. Wigs are definitely not for everyone. Like I said, what I think makes a good wig is it not looking like one. And that's going to take time and practice and you having to venture out and try on different ones. That's the only way you're going to know. So giving yourself grace, you're not going to get it right the first time. Absolutely. This is also a journey and finding what works for you. Absolutely. One thousand percent. And listen, some people with alopecia are just like, F it. I'm just going to shave my head and I'm not going to bother because I don't want to deal with the hassle. I don't have that disposable income to spend money on wigs, whether it's cheap or expensive. It's not something I want to invest in. It really boils down to individual choice and what works for that person. That's another good point is when you go into this venture of wigs and hair extensions, Mm -hmm. though they can be essential to like some essentials to your style, but then it's still an investment. You have to make sure that you can keep up with the investment and really ask yourself, do I really want to do this? If you want to try it, yeah, please. We all have done that. I went through a wig phase and then I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to go bald and that's it. And I've been doing that for over 10 years now and I've never been happier. But when I see someone like you and how you have such a versatile style to where you can do wigs and then can go bald, I'm like, oh man, she's got it. Got it going on. I love that. Happy try, girl. It's being in this place to where instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm not like her, I can actually celebrate it. Look at you. Yes. Rock your ball the way you want. And that's the whole thing. It's all about the diversity of it all. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like I said, there are days when I wake up and I'm like, nope, we're not doing a wig today. Yes, we're going to do a wig today. I love the fact that I can pick, choose, and refuse what I want to do based on my vibe and mood. And that's just it. And I feel like as much as alopecia may suck, there's still a beauty in it because a wig doesn't have to be a necessity. It can be a fun accessory. You could net and think about it. 
You can wear a purple wig, a pink wig, a blonde wig, and not have damage to your scalp or your natural hair. Yep. So there's perks to these things. I think someone in our community, and correct me if I'm wrong, she has a bunch of wigs and she's given her wigs all different names. Me, over here, I do have. Absolutely. And you feel like wigs have been a little bit taboo, but I feel like the, the world we live in now, everybody's doing it and people have been doing it. And so it either works for you or it doesn't. And you don't have to feel obligated to keep up with the Joneses and feel like you need to have a wig to feel beautiful or feel like yourself. And mind you, for some people, the wigs do help them feel like the person that they once were since they've lost their hair. I completely get it. But yeah. it define you. Like, you don't need to have a wig to feel like yourself because you should feel like yourself regardless of what's going on. But I, I do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to downplay someone who decides to make the decision and the investment to wear a wig permanently like that's not what I'm, I'm getting at does that make sense you know what I mean yeah no I do because speaking from my journey when I went into the wig it was a good way to help me transition and adjust and be more comfortable because I would go to work and out and about in my wig and then come home and then be in a safe space where I could take right. off the wig and I know I would stay it was around my mother when I still had my mother around knowing that she was my person, my support system, and then my best friend. I recognize the safe spaces where I can be a little bit more vulnerable. That's the other thing about alopecia. You're relearning vulnerability. Yep. And that's also a process. So for me, in the beginning, I was like, all right, uh, I got to go to the grocery store. I got to get gas. Which wig am I wearing? And then I would come home, take it off, and I felt safe and comfortable. And that's okay. It can help you transition and get comfortable with the idea of Eventually, I would like to go outside as a bald woman and be comfortable. It can help with that. Absolutely. And I have some people that I've spoken to within the community, they would take baby steps. So they'd be like, I'm yeah. a male with no, nothing on my head, not even a beanie. I'm just going to go get the mail. And then it's that few feet from the door to, to the mailbox. It was like, oh, this wasn't that bad. And they may say, okay, I'm going to go to the gas station. And then they may say, I'm going to go to the corner store. It, and it's all about increments and give yourself that grace to just be. This is not a race. Your hair loss journey is not about keeping up with the other person who's accepted their journey and they're just rocking their ball. It's about learning how to re-love yourself in this new you. It's not easy. Like, it for 20 years to get to this place of, yeah, I have alopecia, so what? You're always there. And I literally, I only started my Instagram page, I think, like two years ago. And when I started, it was all food because I thought I was just going to be a food blogger. And I was like, no, I feel like I'm still not being, I, I felt like I'm still hiding. And I finally posted a picture with no hair. And I was like, let's see how this is going to go next to the, the cupcakes I made. And it was very freeing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. You have to just trust the process. And I think that's why I feel I can relate to people in any stage of their alopecia journey. Absolutely. I feel like I've been there and done that because it took me over 20 years to get to this place of not giving a S. And it's like, if I'm going to wear a wig today, that's what we're doing today because I can. If I want to be bald, I can. And it's okay because I don't care what you think. But yeah. it, it took me grieving it took me mourning it took me crying it took me 
years of just going through this roller coaster of emotions that that's what it is now. You're hitting on so many different points. I think what for anyone who just got the diagnosis of your alopecia or you're in the beginning of it, know a plant from two women who have been in this journey for a while. Number one, this is a journey. You have to go through all the emotions. If you don't acknowledge the emotions, it's going to be so much harder to process. That key, the fact that you said acknowledge, because me, I was queen of in denial. I didn't want to acknowledge anything and it made it harder and it made it longer. Yeah. And you have to just accept it for what it is. Like, you feel like crying all day? Please do so. Take a day. But make sure you have your concealer because you're trying to be cute the next day. We are not walking around with puffy eyes. That is not cute. You know what I'm saying? I have hereditary dark circles. Concealer, I need you. But that's what I'm saying. You to go through these emotions because it's part of the journey. It's part of the process. And you know what? Sometimes going through these things is what leads you to finding your tribe. I love this. You're hitting on so many points. I was in another alopecia community. Okay. I've been in there for a while. But then as I started following people on Instagram and social media, oh, it led me our community, Baltarage. And we're the best. I feel when I came in that community, there was a naturalness to it. It was very easy to talk to everyone, talking to our girlies who we mentor and support. When you really find your tribe, you're going to feel so much more natural. It's going to be easy to flow into and not difficult to get comfortable to be yourself and be vulnerable. It's just different. You know what I think? One of the best things about finding your tribe is it's such a safe space to let go. Yeah. And I mean, to just have a cry and not feel the people staring at you are judging you because we've all been there. The relatability of it all is what makes it so much more authentic and so much more pure because we all understand the emotions of this. Not easy, but Every one of us has a different experience, but all of the experiences are so similar. One of the things, before I even found Baltarage, I, when I was finally in the point of just being tired of being tired and I wanted to talk to somebody, I just did a random Google search and found TANF. And that and TANF was the very first support group that I ever attended. And I was like, I'm going to go on Zoom and I'm going to be bald. And that's that. And I'm telling you, Jen, when I saw other people that looked like me, that was the biggest game changer. And listen, I was little Miss Chatty Patty in that group. And I never thought that I would actually be so vocal. And I was like, what is going on here, Crystal? It's like, you need to calm down. Let other people talk. But nobody else was talking except me and like the host. You might as well contribute if no one else is going to talk. Right. I don't know. It was like I had verbal diarrhea because I just felt so... <laughs> You know, I'm looking at this person and the person, shout out to Anna Laura, because she was hosting it and she had glasses. And I'm like, she bald and has cool glasses too. Oh my gosh. So it was like, I just felt so free, Jen. How do I, how do I become a part of this? Maybe if I become a part of this, I'll be more open to accepting what's going on with my body and the changes. How Mm. can I? express all of the emotions that I'm feeling and I'm going through and I've been going through with somebody else who's probably just starting. Do you know what I'm saying? I ended up applying to be a part of Canada and I'm a board member now. 
I wanted to talk about that. And this is a perfect time to bring that up. Talk more about that journey. When I first had my first meeting with alopecians, and I'm on stateside, so we have nap. So I did a meeting with Lindsay, shout out to Lindsay. And getting on a screen to, to see a whole bunch of people in the world, having that realization, even though you know it, but then having it visualized and realized in front of you, not the only one. Yeah. I actually am looking at people who look like me. Yeah. Like you said, it's relieving. Talk about that a little bit more where you first came in and you felt so vulnerable and comfortable and then how your journey changed. And now you're a board member to this incredible organization. Well, even when I applied, like I actually applied to volunteer. I wanted to be a mentor. I'm going to be a mentor. I'm going to talk to people. And when I submitted my application, I had to submit a resume. They contacted me and I have a lot of administrative experience. They were, yeah. we're looking for a secretary. And would you be interested? And I was like, I want to be a secretary. In <laughs> speaking with the president, Carolyn, shout out to Carolyn, who's such a gem. Um, she said it was going to be, it would be a great opportunity to get to know the board, to get to know what TANF is really about and what. Mm. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to do it. And it was being a secretary so, and being a part of the board. It just happened so quickly. And being a secretary was an, an incredible experience because I actually got to see the behind the scenes of a what makes a foundation tick seeing mm -hmm. all of the volunteers and it was um one of my roles was um interviewing people who wanted to be volunteers and mentors and having conversations with different people and listening to their story and their um their interactions with alopecia so being a secretary was actually a blessing in disguise because a i got to connect with so many people and being a board member i discovered that one of our board members also has scarring alopecia and i was like what so, you know, and that was really cool. I think just being a part of an organization like CANF, we do incredible things. We have a wig lending library. So it, wow. Yes. So to stem back on wigs, like now we are Canadian, so it is only open to Canadians, but it's one of those things where it's literally like borrowing a book. Go on our website and you can search our index of wigs. This is a fantastic opportunity for somebody who's maybe never worn a wig before where you can actually borrow from the library and test it out. That's a great resource. Absolutely. And we have so many support groups. I attended my first um, in-person CANAS uh, retreat, not retreat, but it was like, um, it's a come together conference. Oh, and I went bald. Girl, what was that like? It was... Amazing. And they actually asked me to emcee the event. I've never emceed in my life. So that was really cool. So I emceed our party, which was really cool. I had a script and everything, but I was completely nervous. I thought I fumbled it, but they said I did great. So, you know, if they need me to emcee again, I will. Uh, <laughs> it was just so nice because we had vendors that were selling wigs and things like that and people selling really cool accessories. We had a medical panel um, and just bringing everybody together from all parts of Canada wow. to share their experiences. We had support groups and just being in a room with, and we even had a men's support group and even a male perspective was absolutely eye-opening and incredible. And 
I, I can't I can't stress how important it is to try and find an organization so that you do not feel alone. Because yeah. in those organizations, there's so many resources available, like support groups, mentorship programs. We have different events, like like I said, a wig lending library. We have what's called the Heads Up Fund, where we provide financial um, help and assistance to people who may not be able to afford a wig. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, another great resource. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, there's criteria to qualify, but it's still an option. You can reach out to us. I've had people email me because they found me through CanAsk and I set up phone calls and I've been on the phone with them for an hour and a half. And it's just sharing. And I mean, one person really touched me because she said, how did you find the light at the end of the tunnel? And Jen, I got teary on the phone because I thought it, it, it was like a flash of wow. my entire journey when she asked me that question because I'm like that's how I know I've arrived I had a similar experience where it it really taught me even though I knew this but then it, it really hit home for me that people do watch you they see how you're navigating how you're moving how you're speaking how adjusting and I think I shared this with you recently uh where someone recently just came out alopecia for the first time in a very short time frame. That's a friend of mine that I've known for many years. And she reached out to me out of the blue asking me, hey, I'm noticing A, B, and C. Is this alopecia? And for me, with my journey, it was like, yep, yep, and yep, yeah. and yep. I said, and I was honest with her. Honestly, from my perspective with my journey, yes, but I would encourage you go to the doctor, and have an actual confirmed medical diagnosis just in case it's something else. Because even though, to me, it marks all the tick boxes for alopecia, mm -hmm. there are similarities with other conditions that it could be. So just go make sure you're okay. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to get a scalp biopsy. Yeah. It's so important because that will tell the whole story. Yeah. It's going to give you the next best next step once you get that. Again, and it's like... I'm glad that you're friends with that person. So that person has you as a, a golden resource, you know? Yeah. For people who don't have that, it's like, where do they start? And for me, I started with a Google search and I was so anti-Instagram and I never put myself out there because I'm such a private person. But it's amazing when you actually take the step to come out of your comfort zone because I did everything scared. That's my thing. I do everything afraid. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You have to. Has to. But it's in doing things afraid is when you realize how strong you truly are. So yeah. me starting my Instagram page, me starting a blog, me starting a YouTube channel. It's like, what? I would have never done those things. But there are people out there that benefit from it because they can watch you from behind the scenes and say, wow, maybe it's not that bad. Oh, my gosh. Crystal went to the mall. Like she did this. She did that. She, and she's totally fine. Nothing happened. She didn't fall over. You know what I mean? It's like, wait, Jen went to the store bald and with no makeup and did grocery shopping? Thank you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, everything was fine. The world did not end. And you know what I find too? Like when you go out bald, a lot of the times, the things that convert, because I had a lot of, I talked to myself all the time. Um, I do too. Like <laughs> internal conversations where you work yourself up in such a frenzy because you're so afraid of what people may think or saying you create all these scenarios in your head I'm queen of creating all these scenarios that never actually transpire <laughs> you realize that nobody cares nobody actually cares 
No, let's be real about this. Will you get stares? Yes, that's a given. For those that are listening and you're new to this journey, we're just going to tell you people will stare at you. It's going to happen. But there's going to be quite a bit of times where people are going to stare and then they're not going to say anything to you. They're just going to look at you and you're going to go on your merry way. And there might be other times where people will come up to you because people do have a great deal of empathy, but then they don't know what to say. So sometimes some of it will come off rude and disrespectful, even though it's not their intention. They don't know how to articulate mm-hmm. what they're feeling because it may be the first time they've seen someone like, wow, you're a woman, you're outside of your ball and you're okay. I want to say something, but then how do I say it? What do I say? Well, maybe I say it like this. And you're in the shampoo aisle. Make it make sense. Yes. We do use shampoo. Just for everybody who's listening, we do shampoo and condition our scalp. We just want to say. You know what I mean? Like, we have to take care of our skin. It's it's skin. Hello. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we still put sunscreen on. It's kind of a requirement. If I have to do it everywhere else, I have to do it up there. Exactly. It's just so funny. I feel like we can definitely laugh about it. But I hope this actually gives people not only insight, but also shows the comical side of it. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I just got to laugh. What else can I really do? It just shows it's a reminder that all people, including myself, are not perfect and we're flawed and we're not always going to react in the best way. And that's normal and it's human. And one of the things that we're doing as alopecians is we're pushing back against the current norm. We're showing the way we present ourselves is unique. And that's okay because when you think about it, when we had hair, we were already unique to begin with because not everyone does their hair the same way. Not everyone has the same hair color. Heck, people dye their hair every two months or every week because they want to be different and unique. So we were already different and unique to begin with. We're just displaying it in a different way. Absolutely. And to those people that dye their hair every two months, I just want you to know your girl Crystal can come to work Monday through Friday with a different color and no damage. So there's perks to this. I'm telling you, like I said, the journey's not going to be a cakewalk. It's really not. Really important to embrace any and every emotion under the sun that you feel. And yes. it's okay to sit with those feelings. But my thing would be, it's okay to sit in the feelings, but don't dwell in them. Yeah. Not going to change what's happening. And you have to figure out a way to create a healthy environment for yourself on how to process this. Come out on the other side like me and you. Do you know what I mean? Because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And yes, it friggin sucks, especially if you've had a full thick head of hair and you're like, why is there a quarter size bald patch? What is this? And it's devastating because as women, we're taught that we have to look a certain way. We have to carry ourselves a certain way. You know, you look and feel beautiful and feel appealing. And we won't even get into the whole dating thing because that's probably a part two. But there's... Oh no, we're going to do an episode specially for that. That's coming. Okay, I'm here for it because it just... There's so many innuendos that are associated with alopecia that people just don't understand. And, but again, it doesn't make you less than. It just makes you different. And there's nothing wrong with being different. You're unique and you're beautiful, whether you have hair or not. Yes. It's how you embrace it. Because one thing I've learned in my life is you have to teach people how to treat you. And that's something a friend of mine taught me was in this life, you have to teach people how to treat you. And it's so true. So if you make 
your hair loss a huge deal in a production, they're going to make it a big deal in a production. But if you just are casual about it and it's like, yeah, and what? I have alopecia. It changes the dynamics because you've taken that control back. It really does because I feel with my story, I have accepted this and I've been living as a bald woman now for so long and it's normal to me. Where I walk and I live in New York, I still get stares and I work in the city. Mm -hmm. The the melting pot of all these different people, I still get looks. Right. Um, But because of how I've come to accept this and the way I own it and walk it out, people see me, but then they're not like so overly eccentric. I remember when I started my new job in the city, when I walked into the office and I was just me, no one asked me anything. Really? There were no questions. And even to this day, I never get questions. People just saw me. They talked with me and treated me like normal. It was a very interesting experience. But then there was one coworker friend who I had a conversation with. And we were having lunch together. And he said, can I ask you something? Sure. Anything. I don't mean to offend you. And I, that's not my intention. But do you have cancer? Are you okay? And we already have been working together for a year. But you know what? I, I understand why this person asked the question. But yeah. you see the difference? It's how they asked the question. Exactly. It was, that's the framing of it. It's different than people just assuming and wanting to pay for your meal or doing something to make themselves feel better by helping someone that they think is not well. I've had experience too. I've had both experiences. Yeah. So this, the coworker, the way they, they framed it, I would actually be open to having that conversation and saying, no, I actually don't. I'm not sick. You know what I mean? And we did. When we started talking about it, I asked him because I was very curious. One of the things he said to me was, you know, I've been thinking about this and wondering this a long time. And I said, well, let me ask you something. Why didn't you ask me? You know, I'm an open book and I'm very comfortable. He goes, well, I honestly, up until this moment, I would never ask you because I, I didn't know how. I wasn't comfortable asking you, which this is a whole nother topic. But it made me think of what could I do? to encourage people to know it's okay to ask me. How do we even change that narrative where people look at me and have this fear of, well, I don't want to ask her anything because I don't know what to ask. I just want to make sure she's okay, especially when it comes from a position of care and love. Yeah. I think it really boils down to education. And it's like every conversation and every interaction with people are going to be different. And you have to accept that too. That's another thing exactly. you accept out the gate. It's not going to be the same ever. Exactly. So I think each situation and circumstance deserves its own kind of lessons and how we go about the conversation. Like the fact that you had what I, my interpretation is a pleasant conversation with someone yeah. who genuinely actually cared about your health versus the Joe Schmo who was just being a prick who just wanted to have a comment to say or something snarky to say. And I, I think, again, it boils down to boundaries and education where we set the tone of what it is, because guess what? I might not be the last bald person that you ever interact with. So if I set the tone off the jump of how you A, should ask the question, B, how you should approach people. If I set the tone and educate you yes, on how you should approach people that look like me without assuming that they'll take that experience that they had with me. And maybe if they interact with somebody else, they'll approach it differently. 
education is so important. I think with you, me and our community, we're really big on educating people because it's true. It's as the old saying goes, knowledge is power. It's going to make the world of difference because now my coworker has a different perspective. He knows that if someone were to ask him because they have the same fears, he can tell them, oh, it's not this. It's actually this. But I think you should go and talk to her because she's more than comfortable of talking about it. That also aids in the normalization and making alopecia a household name to hopefully where we could get it to the point where people just look at us and go, okay. Yeah. And not making the assumption that we're sick. Yeah. Because I've had that too, where I'll be out and about at the grocery store or at the craft store picking up something like at Michael's. And people come up to me and go, you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer and I started my treatment and blah, 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 it's a whole different like, okay, listen, relate, but then educate. Exactly. And that's, I think, so important because anybody who's battling cancer, that's not an easy journey at all. I lost my mother to cancer. I was a caregiver. But then that was interesting because when people see me, my mom had hair. I did it. They thought I was the patient, but not my mom. See? And that's the thing. That it just opens up a completely different kettle of fish because how do you have a conversation with somebody who's battling a potentially terminally illness and that's not what we have? So how do we spin that and make it so that it's a relatable conversation with empathy, but also educating them to know that, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but that's not what I have. I have an autoimmune disorder. It's tough because, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. Like it's, it really boils down to just having those conversations as uncomfortable as they may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's why it's so important that you have support groups, whether it's through NAF, through CANAS or whatever. Yeah. Where we can feed off of each other and even role play and have those dialogues so that we absolutely are able to interact with the public. You're hitting on so many good points. I know for me, my dialogue with people has evolved. And then going through what I went through with my mom, who I unfortunately lost to cancer in 2020, the way I respond to people now that believe I have cancer, and you can take this and call it your own. I don't have a problem with that, whoever's listening. But one of the things I say now is, hey, Thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable with me with something that's very sensitive and that you felt right away you have that trust with me. I feel very honored by that. Just so you know, so I can be completely honest, open and transparent with you. I don't have cancer. It's something else called alopecia. But I know this road because I lost my mother to cancer and I was a caregiver. That experience has changed the way I respond. For those that are listening, you may not have that. But you can take that and personalize it. Just say, hey, thank you so much for trusting me and being so open and vulnerable because even though I don't know what this journey is, I know, one thing I do know, it's not easy. It's hard. Absolutely. Because alopecia is hard. But I actually have this and this is what this is. And how the conversation has changed even with those women. Because one of the things that I've, I'm becoming passionate about is how can we support people in the cancer community to show that it's okay to be bald, even if you do have cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, there's so much to debunk here. I feel even though it's two completely different things, we can still relate on so many levels. We're going to go through the same things we do. They're losing their hair. It's a form of identity. Yeah, the situation is different, but some of the journey is very similar and in some aspects is the same. 
because my mom did eventually lose her hair. And the way she related to me and she understood even more what I went through. Jen, I knew you were strong, but I didn't know how strong you were. It just changed her perspective. And it even helped her accept more of my decision to be a bald woman in the society we live in. And how she reached me after that experience to own my bald even more. It brought us closer together because I was the one that shaved her head. And I had the opportunity to help her through this and to walk her through it. And that's just a whole nother thing right there. What alopecia has taught me to have more empathy for people and how it can help people no matter if it's alopecia or not. Empathy is very important because we live in such a diverse culture and people are coming from so many different circumstances and walks of life. And you never know what somebody's going through. You never know what somebody's yes. story is. Why it's so important that you can't judge. You can't make assumptions. It's only unless you have that conversation with that person that you can truly understand where they're coming from. I think because we've gone through so many emotions, not only physically, but mentally, and it, it, it's like we can, we can identify and we can relate to people on so many different levels, even if it's not about alopecia, not about cancer. It could be something else. A loss is still a loss. Mourning is still yeah. mourning. No matter what the stance is, it's still relatable in some sort. It's relatable in some way. One of the things I've learned is that our journeys may not be the same, but we all have been hurt and we all grieve. Absolutely. And in that, as a people, we are truly together. It may be different, but we still hurt and we still grieve. The fact that we're alive means we're going to experience pain. If you're in pain, you're alive. Do you hear someone in the graveyard say, ouch? Facts. Woo! Preach it, girl. I need to get my church fan. I wanted to ask you, you touched on it before, and I want to dive into it. How did you come into your social media platform, the Peckish Palette? Where did that name come from? How did you come up with that? Because when I first met you and started getting to know you and finding you on your socials, I was like, that is really cool and unique. Where did that come from? I think so part of it. Okay. I'm a very picky eater. I'm going to start there. I'm a very, very picky eater, but I also love food and I love different things. So peckish in the Caribbean means you're craving something like you're peckish. You're not sure what you want, but you know, you want something. You're feeling peckish for something, right? Ooh, I like that. And it's like the palette is, it represents what am I craving? What do I want? What do I want to share? So that's how I came up with the peckish palette, because it's just what is Crystal craving? What is she about? What? So you never know what you're going to get with me. You know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. So with my blog, I have I talk about like I do DIYs. I share some of my food. If I've gone through emotions that I'm feeling, it's a broad spectrum. So it's really a palette of different things. So what are you peckish for? What are you craving? Are you craving food? You want to talk about a wig? You want to talk about a DIY project? What do you want to talk about? So that's how I came up with the peckish palette. I created my platform because I needed an out. Because mm -hmm. I, I was dealing emotionally and I'm also battling a little bit of depression, if I can be completely transparent. Please do. And I just needed some, I needed a safe space to just release. And I like to write. So I said, I'm going to start a blog. And so never done a blog before in my life. And I love taking photography. So I took a lot of food pictures. I 
And it was just a safe place for me to share my emotions and just to be creative. Kind of how that started. The YouTube started, I think, last year. If I, I'm so bad with time. Um, but I just, I need to come out of my comfort zone even more. So let's go on camera, Crystal. Let's help your self-esteem some more. Let's be a little bit more. Let's do something a little bit more outside the box. Let's put yourself on camera. And being a part of Canass and being on these Zoom calls with people. And I was like, uh, you know what? I want to work on my stage presence. I want to work on being more okay with being in public. And that's how I started doing my YouTube. Being a part of Canaf definitely, it, it made me come out of my comfort zone even more. It's like the more you dove into these other facets of yourself, you're really discovering yourself and pulling her out. Yes. And now I've moved from being a secretary for Canaf to actually being their public relations coordinator. Bravo. So that's pretty cool. A lot of things that I'm doing and learning is really coming out of that safety net and even being a part of Baltarage and being a team member and a captain and being a mentor for little girls. Being forced to come out of my comfort zone and what I'm so used to it's out of this world. And I would have never, ever done any of these things if it wasn't for my hair loss. So starting a YouTube channel just seemed like the next logical thing. You know what I mean? I'm learning that now. <laughs> yeah, I feel the sky's the limit with this. It really is because it forces you to learn something new about yourself. It forces you to dive in and reevaluate what, what was really important. Was it hair? Or was it my mental state? Because when I lost my hair, I also realized that there were other things that I was sweeping under the rug that needed addressing. Absolutely. And that, well, that's daddy issues. That's dealing with depression. That's dealing with how I view myself, how I interact with society, how I carry myself, my self-esteem, my self-worth, my interactions with men. All of these things that I was sweeping under the rug had to they it came to the surface and it 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 came out more because of my hair loss because it's forcing you to have to deal with all this that you you didn't want to have to deal with because now you're even more vulnerable that's the other thing with alopecia and again it goes back to that to that phrase radical acceptance all the insecurities i thought i walked through or grew out of i didn't and then I discovered insecurities I never knew were there at, with all the other trauma I've been through with growing up being ex an excessively bullied kid, being an alopecian, having my mother be a single parent, not having an all-present father. All those things. Related? Are we related? Because I feel like a lot of the things that yeah. you're working on, I'm like, check mark, check mark, check mark. Do you have an ancestry DNA test that you've taken? I'm going to go look at my tree. <laughs> But all that just like piles up on top of each other. And with a lot of things that I have been learning and walking through, I didn't even know that was a trauma. And a thought I had recently was, why did I really do ballet? Did I do it because I left it? Or did I want people to look at me? That's deep. I just had that thought this week as I was thinking about it. And when you find something that you love and for me with ballet and it didn't go the way I was hoping. I wanted to become a professional ballet dancer and dance with a well-established company. I didn't want to be a famous ballerina. I just wanted to become a principal and dance the roles I've always wanted to dance. And that didn't happen. 
But I had this thought, why did I really want to dance in the beginning? It's not like how I feel now. But did I want to do it for the love of it? Or because I was so insecure with all the bullying, I just want people to look at me differently. And appreciate you and validate you and applaud you and give you your accolades where you felt you probably weren't getting those. Yeah. Like we were looking for validation through external factors, but that validation has to come from within. Like you exactly love yourself based on other people's perceptions of you. Yep. I think that's part of the journey is I was always looking to be accepted and approved by others. Uh-huh. I never accepted and approved myself truly. Yeah. To back it up a little bit to what you said earlier with my journey, one of the things that I never would have imagined, one with being an alopecian, was being an alopecia community where I impacted, where I have this wanting now to be more of an advocate which is why I'm doing this podcast, because I want alopecia to be a household name. I never would have imagined that seven years ago that I would be doing anything like this. As much as I hated alopecia, I actually love it. I do too. I would not trade it for anything in the world. And I don't regret the 20 years it took me to come out. I don't regret any of it because I feel like I've cultivated so many dope friendships through this. And I've learned so much about myself. And I've learned to let go. I've learned to let God. I've learned to love. I've learned empathy. I've learned to have conversations that are healthy and positive. And the fact that you and I could sit on this platform and be a voice and a beacon of hope to somebody out there who's listening who may not even know where to start. It's like us losing this was to maybe help somebody with their beginning. One of the things I talked about in other alopecia group that I was a part of, um, I was asked to, again, pushing me out of my comfort zone, to write and come up with topics. And one of the topics that I presented, I said right at the start is, this is going to be triggering from some of you, and it's going to be really hard for you to hear, but I'm speaking from my experience. Alopecia is purposeful. One million percent. But it took us to go through everything we went through to, to learn that it has a purpose. And Christy always says we're kind of like little angels we're sprinkled all over the world. And look how something as traumatic as it is brought us together. And we never would have imagined that. You probably never would have thought about this 10 years ago that Ab- you would. Absolutely not. I would have probably still been under my comforter with a box of Cinnabons. Chocolate covered Oreos for me. <laughs> Wallowing in my depression. You just have to come to a place where enough is enough. And for me, I just got tired of being tired. And I'm like, I either like control my life and define who I am or I get a grip and I figure it out. I chose the latter. And here we are. Absolutely. And to what you said, too, there's a lot of perks to having alopecia. No more bad hair days. You save money on certain products if you don't want to go down that road anymore. If you're like me and your alopecia, Ariana, possibly your Rosales has taken everything. I'm going to get TMI, no more shaving, waxing, or plucking. Facts, facts, facts. For me, I still have my brows and my lashes. I wish I had lashes. That's the one thing I would want. You still have nose hair because I feel I still have some nose hairs. Like I didn't lose my nose hairs. I still have nose hair and ear hair. I don't get them, but I don't have lashes. Do you know what I find disrespectful about alopecia? I'm going to tell you something. 
Why is it I discovered a hair on my chin? Number one. Number two. I'm getting those too. And do you grow hair on your toes? Yes. I don't understand how the body works. Like, why do I have hair on my toes and my knuckles and chin hair, but you can't even give me five strands of hair in the middle of my scalp? I have what I call my funny moments with Jesus. And I say to him, Lord, you know, the one thing I've been praying for is eyelashes. And yet I have chin hair and toe hair. What part of the miscommunication is happening right now? That's what I'm talking about. Anybody who's listening, this is the funny stuff about alopecia that you just got to laugh about. She's so ratchet. Alopecia, the sister that we never imagined we would have from another mister, is ratchet. It's the getaway of it all. I'm like, and why is this curly hair? Like, why is the hair on my chin curly and kinky? found one knee hair on my left knee. Just one knee hair. I'm telling you, alopecia has such random stuff going on that people probably would never understand except our queens and kings. I get it. Yeah. I'm going to get a little TMI here. I may edit it out. Probably not. I have one armpit grows pit hair and the other one doesn't. Okay. See, that's rude. Like I said, alopecia is ratchet. That is so rude. I have to buy a razor for one area. That's what I'm saying. And don't forget your kneecap. Like, so I'm shaving one pit and one kneecap. Make it make sense. And then one kneecap only has one freaking hair. I pluck it. I don't shave it. I... So yeah, so we can probably share tweezers because I'm literally plucking that one chin hair. I don't I... know why chin hair grows as fast as it does. Can you know it? Everywhere else is slow, but you are just like abracadabra. I don't get it. I'm telling you, this is part of alopecia's bold, disrespectful behavior. <laughs> So I'm sure people out there who are going through this, y'all can relate to what we're talking about here. Alopecia is that one best friend that will talk to you in such a disrespectful way, but you love her so much because she's so brutally honest. Absolutely. See, that's how you, that's how you end a podcast. <laughs> well, my beautiful friend, I have loved having you on. We're going to have you back because we have more yes. to talk about. I'm all for a part two, like, because we hit so many points. I feel like we definitely need to debunk some more for sure. But I'm so grateful that you even asked me to be on this platform with you. Like, I'm so blessed. Uh, I, I'm blessed to know you and the fact that you agreed to come on. Can you please share with everyone listening where they can find you? So my Instagram handle is at the peckish palette. That is T-H-E-P-E-C-K-I-S-H-P-A-L-A-T-E. That is a tongue twister like scarring alopecia. But if you find me on Instagram there, then that will lead you to my YouTube channel, which is also the same. I'm also, like I said, I'm part of the Canadian Alopecia Areata Foundation. So if you have any questions, if you're in Canada and you want to reach out to me, please do so. You can find me at publicrelations at canf.org. So I'm all over the place. It's I'm not hard to find. And I will direct you if you get lost. Salute worry. Absolutely. Uh, and all that information, everyone, will be in the episode description below. All right, my friend, thank you so much for joining us and stopping by and rocking your bald. It was so fun. Thank you so much, Queen. 